Before we get to today's episode, I want all of our listeners to be aware that PECA has extended the VSP Vision exam rebate through the end of 2024. For those members participating, they can earn up to an additional $15,000 on their VSP commercial eye exams this year, 2023, and up to an additional $30,000 more in 2024. If you have not taken advantage of this incredible rebate, I highly encourage you to do so. Now to the show. Welcome to the Practice Advantage Podcast. I'm Dr. Justin Manning, and here on the podcast, I interview experts from within and outside the eye care industry on the business management topics and advice that matter most to you, your practice, your patients, and your success. Let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of the Practice Advantage podcast. In this first of a two-part series, we're focusing on the business and clinical opportunities of amniotic membranes in private practice. From a clinical aspect, amniotic membranes provide powerful healing opportunities for improving ocular surface disease for a whole host of conditions. And on the business side, this clinical service generates significant revenue within the practice as well. So today to discuss the implications of cryopreserved amniotic membranes, my guests today are Dr. Mila Yusifova, a PECA member, first of all, and probably more importantly, the owner of South Waterfront Eye Care in Portland, Oregon, and Dry Eye Extraordinaire. And I'm also joined by Roger Kennedy, Director of Marketing with Biotissue. Mila, Roger, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Now, before we dive into the business applications of cryopreserved amniotic membranes, Mila, how did you first get exposed and interested in bringing them into your practice? Sure. I opened my practice as a cold start practice in two, uh, 2013. So we just uh, we just celebrated our 10-year anniversary. And pretty much right off the bat, when I uh, opened my practice, I really was um, hyper-focused on dry eye. I saw the need. I saw a lot of patients really struggling. So I started to uh, invest in all these uh, advanced technologies, you know, um, the thermal treatments, Lipoflow, IPL really early on. And that's when amniotic membranes also, you know, were starting to get, um, were available to us. And so really, I by attending a lot of the conferences and reading on anything I could get my hands on uh, or my ears on, uh, on dry eye. And this is, you know, amniotic membranes were definitely one of those treatments that were um, advanced treatments that nothing else could do what amniotic membranes could do for my patients. I, I saw the need and I needed to bring it in and we'll, you know, we'll talk about like kind of my transition to cryopreserved. To be honest, I, I started with the uh, dehydrated membranes because those were sort of, uh, it's probably your audience, your uh, the, our colleagues have the similar thoughts. It's, oh, it's less expensive. It's easier to maybe store. Um, but I did not see the results that I was expecting to see with, with the dehydrated forms. So early on, pretty much did the switch to cryopreserve, and I've been using cryopreserve for 10 plus years. 
So as a as a follow up to to that and how you got into them, and you know, we we at PECA are huge fans of of amniotic membranes across the board and their use in in clinical practice. Yeah, I, I remember when I first started using them, whether it was the dehydrated or the cryopreserved. I had never been exposed to them in school. I never put one on an eye. And here I was with them at my disposal in the practice. And I just sort of jumped in and started doing it. I, I'm curious how you got started from the actual clinical application and utilizing them. What was the learning curve like for you? Did you have formal training? Was it learning on the fly and as you went? Tell us more. Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, we didn't. Yeah, you're right. We, we were not really exposed to this in school. That kind of um, tells tells our audience how old we are. <laughs> um, so in school, you know, this was not really even dry eye was not really taught that at a level that we know now and and we treat now. So really early on, um, my exposure was through. Uh, reading also maybe hands-on workshops at uh, conferences and um, but I got a lot of help from the companies too from the representatives from reps and so there's a lot of support in when you get started that's kind of the nice thing about um, getting started with these companies is that they will teach you on how to apply they'll come in and show you they'll send you videos any resources and things like that so that part is really was not that that difficult because there was there was information out there. So I didn't have to figure out how to do it on my own. I think that's important that that support piece is is really important, especially you talked about your passion at the beginning and how you you knew you wanted to focus that focus on dry eye. And as we're talking and, and in your background, I see your Lipoflow device there. But having that support from the companies. And the partnerships there in in the actual formal hands-on training and experience makes a huge difference in how you bring something like this into your practice. As we get a little more specific into the clinical side of things, how do you determine when to leverage an amniotic membrane? And perhaps a broader question with your approach to dry eye, how do you how do you determine when to use a crowd preserved? How do you determine when to use any of the other more specialty tools and treatments in your practice from a dry standpoint? This is a great question. I love this because when I first started with amniotic membranes, I thought these were really only for my worst cases. And, you know, I reserve this as my I've tried everything else. This is the only thing that's left. And I have. I, that's not my uh, approach anymore. So I definitely have shifted on how I approach this. Um, so I get a lot of really advanced dry eye. I get a ton of referrals for, for dry eye patients. So really at this point, majority of my patient care is dry eye. So that's really my passion. I love it. I, I can't get enough of dry eye patients. So, um, and then, you know, when they get to me, by by the time they see me, they've seen several doctors, they are ready to step up their treatment. So we're not just, you know, going to try different artificial tears. And I have a, a protocol. And one of them is to always check corneal sensitivity, corneal nerves, because years of inflammation, years of dealing with dry eye, a lot of these patients have early neurotrophic keratitis, early damage to the corneal nerves. As we know, in the definition of dry eye, there are neurosensory abnormalities that happen. So there's inflammation, there's 
you know, hyperosmolarity of a tear film, but then we have now damage to the corneal nerves. If we don't treat the corneal nerves, everything else you're doing is not going to be that effective. So you could be treating your patients with IPL, treating the lid disease, their MGD, but we need the corneal nerves to facilitate tear reflex and you know the whole hyper the whole homeostasis of the corneal surface of the tear film. So corneal nerves are crucial in in your treatment, really anywhere, any. Um, uh, along any part of the dry eye sort of journey. So early on, if you're treating, if you decide, okay, this patient has, has rosacea or they have MGD, I'm going to do a lipoflow, I'm going to do IPL. But if the corneal nerves are not restored, not healed, you're going to end up being where you, are, you're, where you started. So implementing that early, as you're going through some of those you know, advanced MGD treatments in office, um, you know, I'll have the patient start IPL, but I'll also treat them with Procara because I want those corneal nerves to start sending those afferent signals to the brain so that the whole lacrimal functional unit is restored. So I, you know, I always tell my, my colleagues, check corneal nerves. Don't wait for it to be, um, especially those persistent SPK patients as persistent uh, standing on the cornea. We're dealing with neurotrophic some sort of some form of early form of neurotrophic keratitis so you got to heal the corneal nerves to be able to restore the whole function i, I was going to ask you if you're from an approach standpoint are you, are you more conservative in when you leverage them or do you pers or do you prefer to use them earlier on in the process and i think you made the most the best argument for why this approach early on is so important and i think doctors I know I went through that when I first started leveraging them in practice is saving them for the more worst case. These are, and we'll talk about this. I want to ask you another question here in a second. They're higher, you know, the higher cost services, especially if a patient has a deductible and they have to pay some of this out of pocket. Maybe we reserve it for the more advanced cases. No, in the management of dry eye, the earlier you leverage them in patients that clinically make sense, obviously, it is so important to, and you made a phenomenal argument. So I, I do want to ask, zooming back out from the clinical to the business side and the really the patient education piece, <clears throat> these are high reimbursing services from a you know Medicare and commercial health plan standpoint. Those with an unmet deductible could have a high percent, high out-of-pocket expense. How do you how do you have that conversation with patients? I ask that because. I think we collectively as a profession, that's my opinion, we hesitate about charging patients significant dollars for the services we provide, much to our detriment. So how have you, how do you approach this? How have you built the education, the, the business aspects, the business side of this into your office's processes and procedures? It really starts as early as when the patient calls to make an appointment and we collect their medical insurance information. So my staff, we have this protocol in place. They already look into patient's deductible, if they've met their deductible. So that way, if I decide to do Procare the same day, um, they know, you know how much they're going to pay. If they've met the deductible, they pay nothing. Or you know, for Medicare patients, again, that's really nice. Um, they don't have to worry about that. But the way I present it to patients is that this is one of the, other than pharmaceuticals, this is the only thing we have out of all of our dry eye treatments that's actually billable to your insurance. 
So patients like that. They like to hear that, okay, you know, my IPL is not covered, my lipoflow, we do, you know, RF, we do MIBO, we do tear care, we do it all in our office, even uh, autologous serum in PRP, but none of them are covered or billable to insurance. Now, amniotic membrane is the only thing. So when I present it like that, like this is a, first of all, we don't have anything else, any other regenerative treatment other than amniotic membranes that's available to us um, that can really like regenerate the tissue. I mean, this is, when you present it that way, how like amazing this technology, this treatment is, patients, first of all, are like, wait, what? <laughs> what is it from the amniotic, you know, from placenta? Like, you know, you that conversation, first of all, gets so exciting for patients because they're like, wow, I didn't know that was a thing. And then you say it is actually billable to insurance and and again, if they haven't met their deductible, my staff already tells me what their what their portion is going to be. So I don't want them to be surprised and all of that. So then the, there comes the, the financial conversation. And then um, then the whole you know procedure and then when we want to see the patient back and, and things like that. And I just never get tired of that wow effect I see in patients, right? When they when I remove the membrane or remove the ring after the treatment, and they literally say, wow, my vision is better. And then I I take pictures of their corneas before and after. It just looks like a completely different person's cornea, right? Within like three to five days, we literally change completely how the cornea looks and how it, it functions, right? These patients are seeing better, much brighter, clearer. Um, so that part is always exciting for me. I, I just can never get tired of it. But again, financial part, as long as we are we get that information collected and we're upfront with it. It's a really easy conversation. It's really never, I never get a pushback. I think that's such fabulous advice. Roger, I know you've been hanging with us and we spent a lot of time on the, the clinical side of things and, and the patient education in the role that you play on the partner side of things and, and the experience you have with other practices and other doctors, what are some of the biggest challenges to implementation on the business side of things that you have seen in the space? What are some of the, the best approaches to troubleshooting these challenges? Neil, I want to hear your opinion as well, but uh, Roger, I want to hear from you. Yeah, you know, to be honest, from from um, my chair as, as a partner and, and being a vendor and provider of the amniotic membrane, Implementation is probably one of the hardest challenges that we have that we see from doctors. It's it's less about um, the clinical effectiveness uh, of the products. Um, you know, Dr. Mila and, and all of you guys right have already spoken about how how the, the science and the you know the proven effectiveness of this product. Um, that's kind of an easier sell. Um, the harder sell is like, well, how do I incorporate it into my practice, right? So. I think the, the biggest challenge that um, that we find that a lot of doctors face, especially when first incorporating this technology, is which patient do I do I use it for and at what stage, right? It's just like the 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 making of the watch, right? Like I I I bought my first amniotic membrane. Um, I'm gonna use it. All right, who do I use it on? And then at what stage do I use it? So I'm getting education as far as um, what you know from a reimbursement standpoint when it's appropriate. Obviously, medical necessity. Um, and identifying, you know, whatever the condition is, if it's something like corneal nerves that are a factor, right? Like when, you know, when do I intervene there at, at what stage and what product is going to be effective there? Um, and, and then every, everything beyond that, right? So up to, you know, corneal ulcer down to, you know, moderate triad. 
Um, second kind of, uh, uh, you know, challenge as far as implementation, I think is just uh, reimbursement as well. And then when I say reimbursement is just understanding the nuances of if somebody doesn't, if somebody's more retail in practice and they're starting to use amniotic membranes, you know, what, what CPT code do I use? What kind of documentation is needed? Um, you know, making sure that they get all their ducks in a row. If something were to happen, what do I do? Um, getting getting secure in that um, and those kind of questions, I think, is pretty vital to to incorporating the technology. And then a little bit more tactical is is just kind of just doing it for the first time, right? Just inserting it, um, especially if somebody's using both, um, you know, both kinds of amniotic membranes. Um, what are the nuances between the two as far as insertion? Um, what you can expect from efficacy, what you could, uh, you know, do you need a vanished contact lens or is it the self-retaining, um, you know, I'm obviously with, with Procura. Um, so there's new, there's differences there, but just understanding what the differences are, when, it, when to use it, um, when it's clinically appropriate. Um, and then once again, the, the, the reimbursement and, and all those challenges that we mentioned before. I appreciate that. Right, I'm going to throw another marketing-specific question to you. And, and Mila, I'd love to hear your thoughts here, too. Yeah. From a patient, not so much a patient education standpoint in the chair, but how do you market this broadly? Or what are the best approaches, shall we say, of marketing this technology on its own, as well as in the broader dry eye care you provide, more on a bigger scale from a... You know, practice website, social media, et cetera. What have you seen to be the biggest successes? And Mila, I'm going to ask you the same question. Yeah, and, and I'm going to actually take a little bit from what Dr. Mila said uh, before. So I, I think understanding all the options, what's reimbursed. Like, uh, so I have a very vivid memory when I first got into the industry, when I first got um, into amniotic membranes of being at a conference and I was right next to, to Care Credit as a vendor. And I remember thinking to myself, why am I next to Care Credit? Um, with all these clinical vendors. And, and, you know, I was talking to the gentleman there and basically talking about just how expensive, especially these, these patients suffering from dry eye, somebody that has corneal involvement, somebody that has MGD, somebody has, you know, something else going on. Um, it's, it gets really expensive. The financial burden is, is really high for those patients. Um, so the way we market amniotic membrane in general, it, it's pretty sophisticated science. So we try to simplify it as much as possible. Um, we don't go into details as far as the, the science of what it works outside of it saying, uh, outside of us saying that, you know, it's regenerative in nature, um, it's natural, it's safe, uh, and, and all of those kind of, kind of terms to, to put the patient at ease. Um, but then just getting them to understand that you, you have, you're, you're suffering from a condition and you essentially have a, a number of options, right? Um, and, and there's a lot of limitations with, with all of the options, right? So, so if you, you think of something like steroids, extremely effective and fast healing, but nobody wants to be on steroids for a long period of time, right? You have prescription drops, which are great and not as invasive, pretty easy to implement at first, but from a compliance perspective, how long you have to be on those drops, you have to be on the drops for a lifetime, like compared to, you know, a, an option that is going to be a little bit more invasive and in amniotic membrane but it's going to be fast acting in three days, going to have long, long lasting effects in three to nine months. And just like not really steering the patient, but you're, you're presenting all the options. And some patients are going to be like, Hey, um, I just want to, you know, I'm comfortable taking drops and, and I'm just going to do that. But I think uh, patients, the more they realize that there's an option that is quick and long lasting um, and reimbursable at that. Right. And effective. <laughs> um, that's, that's something that I want to know more about. Um, when, whenever I talk to, 
anybody at a at an airport or anything like that, and you know, talking about what I do and the product. And I, I commonly hear from from you know lay people or potential patients like, how come my doctor hasn't told me about this, right? So I think it's just the education of what the treatment options are and and, and what it can do. I have a very strong love hate relationship with that. Uh, why hasn't my doctor talked to me about this uh, question? <laughs> Yeah. Mila, back, back to you. Any from a challenges and implementation standpoint, anything we haven't talked about? And then on that broader practice level, not just in the chair, but practice level, how do you approach marketing to patients in this space? Yeah, I think we covered the challenges. Um, I think that, and this may be not necessarily just amniotic membranes, but you know, some of our colleagues are a little bit hesitant to you know, kind of dive into doing the advanced dry eye treatments. And really, like, I wouldn't even consider this at this point, like not, like I said, it's not just advanced. It's like a lot of, we have a lot of patients with dry eye. We, we everybody, I mean, this is, dry eye is becoming the number one reason why patients see their eye doctor. So we really should have, uh, all of us have not just dry eye specialists, um, have the tools and this is one of those tools that you don't have to pay thousands of dollars for an instrument to get it in your uh, in your office, right? In your clinic, you can have it um, a, a small refrigerator or freezer that the company provides. It goes under your desk. It's, that's how small it is. So you don't have to, you know, I've heard that too from my colleagues. Oh, but you have to get a freezer. I'm like, yeah, it's like a tiny microwave size, <laughs> you know? So there's really no reason why um, you wouldn't want to have this in your clinic. And it's and it's not a big investment and it's reimbursable. And again, um, that burden on patients, but also your office, um, it, it's, it really is covered from all angles. And it's one of those things that um, the other question was, is, is the uh, marketing, you know, yeah, we have some internal, we have like plant pam pamphlets where the patients are sitting, we have information. So a lot of patients will be waiting for their eye exam to come in. They're like, what is this thing? Like, can you tell me about this? And, you know, so I can talk to them. We also have um, this digital uh, monitor in our room. It's called Checked Up and it has, um, it has all these educational, you know, uh, posters that I use a lot for patient education, but also has some commercial, not like commercial that with voice, but has some, some um, picture commercials and Procare is there. Like we get to use. So patients again will ask me like, what is that thing that goes, is it a contact lens? You know, so again, that'll be a reason to talk about if I'm not bringing it up, but the biggest, biggest um, uh, marketing tool for us has been word of mouth. You know, patients get this treatment and then I have a, a, you know, I'll have a, a a patient that's referred from her, from another patient coming in saying, I have dry eye. My friend had this thing put in her, her, her eye for three, five, you know, for five days. Now, okay, what is that thing? You know, it was, it was like some placenta thing. So that word of mouth and, and, um, and I also get it from other providers. I, I've called, I've had naturopathic doctors, rheumatologists reach out to me because these are the patients that I'm treating and then I go back to them to their doctors and tell them about this, this amazing regenerative treatment they had and that transformed their vision and how their eye felt. And those are the, you know, providers that are asking me, you know, are you, what are these things, stem cells? Or, you know, they're, they'll ask all these sorts of questions. And I love that because then I'll, you know, I'll send them an email or I'll send them, I'll get on the phone and tell them all about it. And that's, and I get referrals from them for dry eye and specifically, you know, some of these treatments as well. 
I think that's a really important point that you make is not only the opportunity of just communicating it to your patient base who may not need it that moment in practice, but communicating that you are providing this care and this type of technology to the providers who are outside of eye care, who are engaging with patients who will ultimately benefit from this type of technology. Mila, Roger, I can't thank you enough for joining the podcast, sharing your wisdom, expertise with our listeners. We always wrap up with the same question. We believe leaders are readers. What are you currently reading? Oh, uh, currently I'm reading uh, Think Again by Adam Grant. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty cool book if you guys haven't read it already. Uh, basically, um, talking about evaluating um, your opinions and challenging you to constantly reevaluate them. So think of it as uh, as you having an opinion or a decision, um, but being hyper aware of what factors led you to have that decision. And the moment those factors change, having a responsibility to reevaluate what that original decision was, right? So um, it's it's pretty insightful, probably pretty appropriate for a lot of uh, treatment options or, or decisions that you make in a practice as well, right? If, if conditions were to change, then um, probably decisions were to change, uh, you know, based off uh, what, what you learn over time. So that's what I'm reading. Um, I, I love this question because I get to, you know, take notes on who's reading what and, and actually you know, that helps me for my next read. Um, so the, the the one that I'm reading is actually I'm, I'm listening to it because I've been traveling a lot and like presenting and, you know, a lot of times I'm working on presentations. But this is something that, um, that with audiobooks is great, but we get to, you know, read or listen to a lot of books. But the, the one that I'm reading, listening to right now is Shift Your Brilliance by Simon Bailey, and he was actually a guest at, on a podcast, Optometry Unleashed, with Dr. Trevor uh, Miranda. I, I was a guest on his uh, on his podcast as well. And I love, oh, I'm learning so much. And one of the things, um, and there's so many amazing quotes, but one that recently kind of stuck with me is um, that we should be connecting, not just communicating, right? And this is something we, as I doctor, you kind of mentioned that earlier, that, um, you know, with, with, when it comes to finances and things like that, um, a lot of our colleagues kind of like, don't, they don't feel comfortable. They feel like they're selling something, a treatment or product or something like that. But we don't have to sell when you're connecting, when you have the passion, when you believe in something, when you're connecting with that and, and connecting with your patients, then it's a always an easy conversation. Um, the other one, I don't know if you guys do this. I usually like read multiple things at the same time. I don't know if it's just my ADHD brain, <laughs> um, but but I'm always looking for things to, like, you know, ways to improve myself, right? In um, self-development and self-growth and um, becoming supernatural by Dr. Joe Dispenza. And I'm rereading that. I already read that, but it's been a while. And so just, you know, all the good vibrations, all the things like, you know, mindfulness, meditation, things that I can, I can do for myself that will makes me, that makes me a better person, better doctor, better mom and wife, all of those things. We will definitely put a link to all three of those books in the show notes. And Mila, I need to actually, now that we've been doing this for over 70 plus episodes, I need to create a practice advantage podcast reading list with everything that everybody suggested over yes. the course of this podcast. So thanks for the inspiration for that. This was great. Mila, Roger, thanks so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Dr. Mayor. Thanks for having us. 
If you've enjoyed the Practice Advantage podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. And if you want to take your practice to the next level for the sake of your patients, your team, your community, and your bottom line, give us a call. 1-800-959-2020, option three. See you next time.